Hi everyone, this is Mike with episode 66 of Getting Everyone Moving, brought to you by Palms to Pines Parasports. And today I'm interviewing a really special guest. Uh, David Davis is the author of Wheels of Courage, how paralyzed veterans from World War II invented wheelchair sports, fought for disability rights, and inspired a nation. Hi, David. Hey, how are you, Mike? Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So I recently read the book, and I, I mean, I just found it so fascinating and so interesting. I mean, what, what was your motivation for writing the book? Uh, well, first of all, thank you. Um, uh, I guess the motivation was, you know, I'll be frank, I'm a journalist. Um, uh, when I run into a story that to me has so many elements that, you know, Wheels of Courage had, in other words, this intersection of sports and the culture and history, you know, that's that to me is sort of the sweet spot. Um, I've, I've done a lot of uh, uh, writing and research uh, about the Olympics. So I feel like I, you know, I, I know the Olympics and the Olympic movement and I'm, I'm pretty well versed in that. But frankly, before I, I researched this book and started writing, uh, I didn't really know the history of the Paralympics. And, yeah. and, and so in a sense, this was, uh, you know, as you know, having read the book, the, the story really outlines the, the beginnings of what became this Paralympics. And, uh, you know, one of those things, once you start going in and doing the research, you see all these, uh, uh, you know, amazing stories or, or stories that really had the mainstream media has sort of, I'm not going to say ignored, but, but certainly overlooked over the years. And uh, so in a sense, it was the motivation was, let's bring this to light. Let, let's, let's celebrate this story. Well, I think you do very much. I mean, especially with all the stories, you know, one of the things that, that I found so interesting, which I knew, which I didn't really know about, I mean, I knew about veterans coming back from, from World War II. But then when you wrote about some of the games that were played in Madison Square Garden and it was filled to capacity, I mean, how, how incredible is that? Yeah, ab absolutely, fascinating. And um, the, the, the game that you mentioned was in 1948. And that was sort of, at, at least at that time, the biggest audience for um, a, a, a sports contest involving uh, athletes with disability. And yeah, they packed Mad the old Madison Square Garden, uh, 15 plus thousand people. And, you know, setting the scene, uh, you know, back then, you know, people are smoking cigarettes and cigars and, and uh, there's this wafting smoke uh, beneath the lights. But when these athletes, uh, pioneering athletes took to the court. Um, in the beginning, certainly there was fear and, um, and these are from the accounts. I wasn't trying to make up anything. These are from the accounts. People were, what's gonna happen when two wheelchairs, you know, collide and somebody falls to the court? Oh my gosh. Uh, uh, but they soon realized that, you know, this was, this was a legitimate uh, athletic endeavor and these men were serious. It wasn't, they weren't, uh, you know, asking for any sort of pity or anything like that. It was, hey, look what we're doing. Uh, 
uh, we're moving the ball pretty, pretty well and moving up and down the court. How, you know, in, in the accounts that you read and the interviews that you did, um, you know, obviously the chairs they use then are so different from what is used today. I mean, what, right. I mean, what, how did, how did people, how did people do it? I mean, I I don't get it. How did they move up and down? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's one of those you make do, right. You make do. And it's interesting that you brought up the chairs. I, 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 again, sort of a diversion in, in the research, but, um, when you look at sort of the history or the evolution of wheelchairs, uh, certainly back before World War II, before the 30s, I mean, these were basically lazy boy chairs on wheels. They were oversized. Um, There was no mobility. You couldn't just, you know, wheel yourself down the sidewalk to go to the store or go to a restaurant or, or, or whatever. Uh, you were pretty much immobile with these wheelchairs. Um, and chances are you were perhaps in an institution or you were sort of uh, at home um, with attendants or family members. Um, in the 30s, an, an engineer who himself was paralyzed, uh, Everest, actually was in Santa Monica area, uh, devised, he, he was very frustrated that he couldn't Uh, go out and get a job. And because of his lack of mobility with these old wheelchairs. So he and another engineer, Jennings, Everest and Jennings, E and J, they devised a new fangled wheelchair with, that was light. I mean, when I say lightweight, we're talking about 45, 50 pounds, but they could fold up. And that was the interesting thing. You could wheel yourself to a vehicle, uh, you know, open the door, uh, uh, jump, you know, hop into the front seat, fold the wheelchair, put it in the back seat, and, and drive away with hand controlled, uh, the hand controlled vehicle. So um, when we look at those old wheelchairs, we, we sort of laugh because there's, they're, they're not designed for sport, for, for athletic or recreation, but they were a huge advancement over the previous ones. And when you see photographs, for instance, of the athletes, the paralyzed veterans in Europe, I mean, those are those oversized stuffed chairs. And I mean, part of the reason the U.S. teams were so successful is we had these E&Js that could just move around real quick. Um, but and that that is really the book ends in the 60s, though. I, 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 I talk a little bit about the evolution, but. In a sense, that's the modern day evolution of, of, of wheelchair sports is the athletes themselves really contributing to the design elements for individual sports, whether it's track or basketball or, or what have you. And that's a, that's a fascinating uh, chapter as well. So the whole book yeah. is fascinating. <laughs> um, Thank you. Thank you. What kind of courage do you think it took for you know, these wounded veterans, they came back, they probably weren't looking at much of a life, right? In terms of medical advances, not there. What do you, what are some, what did you gather from, you know, your research and kind of what they went through and developing, you know, sport? Right. Um, I mean, it, it was a couple of, I mean, there were sort of two elements. Uh, 
Um, and what you mentioned is, uh, well, one was physical and, and one was, you know, mental, psychological, however you want to call that. Um, the physical aspect of it was uh, really, again, before World War II, if you were paralyzed, you know, in battle, World War I, or, or just paralyzed in general, uh, your chances of living a, a long, normal lifespan were very, very small. Um, probably uh, they called them, uh, uh, you know, no, the medical community would call uh, paraplegics no-hopers, meaning they were going to die, whether it was sepsis or disease. They didn't have penicillin. They didn't have the wherewithal to treat the you know, uh, bed sores or things that would develop naturally, kidney disease, your, you know, urological diseases. Um, so on the one hand, they were this medical miracle because they were gonna live, these World War II veterans, um, they were gonna live uh, potentially a normal lifespan into, the, into your 70s or 80s. So on the one hand, they were guinea pigs, um, but just as important, and I think here's where the sports and the recreation comes in, was the psychological aspect. Um, because on the one hand, they come home, they've seen battle. They've seen their friends or, or, or fellow soldiers die, gruesome deaths. So in a sense, they know that they're lucky. Uh, they made it through. Their bodies are compromised. And most of these are you know, young men in their 30s, 20s. Yeah. And they're now looking at, okay, I've lost the use of my legs. Um, so how do you deal with that? And there was a, obviously for many of them, a very emotional um, transformation of, of getting used to this new normal. And one of the, I, I think, uh, smart things that the VA and others did was integrate uh, recreation. And, and other aspects, vocational training, so that they would have a job. Um, but recreation, because, hey, again, young men, hey, what, what, what are you used to doing? You know, going out and playing basketball or playing whatever sports. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was a very important, I think, psychological boost for many of these men who were the pioneering wheelchair athletes. It was part of in, in a sense, and I mean this in a, in a, I guess, medical sense, it was part of their rehabilitation. Yeah. And uh, so the doctors looked at it as rehabilitation. The men themselves started as rehab and then it morphed into competitiveness. And, you know, we want to win and uh, a championship and a tournament and so on and so forth. Can you, David, can you tell us some stories about you know, some of those first games and some of those first teams. I mean, what, what really stood out for you? Yeah, well, what's so, what was interesting to me just before I, I go into some of the stories, yeah. um, uh, because um, all of the veterans who I, was, who I was writing about, with the exception of one or two, had passed. I mean, they would have been in their 90s. Yeah. I was fortunate enough to interview and spend time with uh, Gene, Jerry Fessenmeyer. Yeah. Um, he passed away while I was researching and writing the book, but I did meet with him. Um, but when I would talk to the sons and the daughters of these pioneering, they, they had no clue. 
they didn't know that what their dads had done. You know, it was a different generation. It was the silent generation. They came home from the war. They played basketball. They went on with their lives. And that was it, you know? And, yeah. and so that was sort of fascinating to me. Um, but certainly um, when you ask about stories, um, what led me to the book actually was not far from you uh, in, in Norco, California. Yeah. where there was a naval hospital. And, and honestly, that was my first uh, inkling that this was sort of the origin of wheelchair uh, basketball and wheelchair sports uh, in the country. But uh, at the Naval Hospital Corona, I, I say Norco, but interchangeably yeah. with Corona, but at Naval Hospital Corona, that was one of the first teams. And they were called the Rolling Devils, which, you know, I love that name. It was so you know, evocative. And they were a short live team, um, but they featured this gentleman who I, I just mentioned, Jerry Jean Fessenmeyer, uh, and also a, a gentleman named Johnny Winterholler, who was uh, just an amazing athlete at University of Wyoming before the war. And then he went into uh, the Marines and uh, he was captured on Corregidor and was a POW in Japanese, you know, in, in the Philippines. Um, so, you know, when you ask about stories, it just goes on and on. But uh, one of the stories that Jerry Jean Fessenmeyer told me was um, they went up to uh, Oakland uh, on a road trip. And uh, so we're talking about, about a, a dozen men and the coach, uh, going flying up there and you know at that time nobody had really flown using wheelchairs or anything and they played a an able-bodied team that borrowed wheelchairs for the occasion um, a very very top quality team called the Oakland uh, uh, what were they called? the Oaks um, and um, and they beat them at you know one of the big arenas the Oakland Auditorium uh, uh, and that team featured Jim Pollard who's now in the Hall Basketball Hall of Fame for playing with the uh, with the Minneapolis Lakers and so forth but what was so what what Jerry emphasized was obviously the men the paralyzed veterans were adept at using the wheelchairs yeah um, they're playing an able-bodied team that would borrow, you know, they maybe practice a few times and then they play. And of course the paralyzed veterans would, would, excuse my French, kick their butts. <laughs> and, uh, what was amazing, what Jerry was saying, I mean, the crowd went nuts because here were these paralyzed veterans showing that the world and showing this other team hey, on our uh, level, we're, we're going to win and we're going to win easily. And we're going to show skills and, and adeptness that you can't come close to, uh, you know, matching. So uh, anyway, I thought that was interesting. And um, yeah, just a lot of stories. The Madison Square Garden is a great example. And then just how it sort of, how the sport sort of uh, took off from there. Um, so there were, you know, there, in the book you talk about, there were a lot of Hollywood kind of movie stars that that became involved too. Was it, I, 
I think, but I'm not sure you can tell me, um, was it more about, okay, here are these veterans and, you know, they're trying to do stuff. And so, you know, we're going to attach ourselves to this. Was it sympathy? Was it empathy? What do you think? What was the I, I think there was, yeah, I think there was some of that for sure. I, I think it was also different back then in the sense that the country was so much smaller back then. And our participation in World War II, uh, you know, everybody would have known somebody who was fighting or working in the, you know, munitions factory. And the women were doing their part going, you know, working as well. So I think the country, uh, when the veterans came back, the paralyzed veterans, but also all veterans, when they came home, um, there was this outpouring of support for them and by the public um, because people had lost loved ones to in this war. We, you know, felt very uh, proud that we had beaten the Nazis and yeah. that we had, you know, conquered the Japanese empire. Um, so between the general public and the politicians, you know, who were, remember, we're, we're under FDR, you have the GI Bill and Truman, you have the GI Bill. So there's an outpouring of support for returning veterans. And so I think that's part and parcel. Um, the other element, you know, in terms of you're asking about sort of the Hollywood stars, the other prominent team in Southern California was in Van Nuys at the Birmingham VA. And so there was this proximity to Hollywood and the stars. And remember back then, a lot of the stars would buy big ranches in San Fernando Valley. You know, that was, uh, that was a cool place to be. Um, and you could buy acres upon acres. And uh, so there was, and, and if you look at those old newsletters, which, which I read through, you know, the, the stars would come to visit the men and, and, you know, sign autographs. They would raise money for the facilities. They, they built a nice swimming pool, you know, which is still around. It's a, that facility is still around though. It's now, you know, a high school or, yeah. or a middle school. Um, so I, I think it was part and parcel. All of the country was rallying around these men, and then there was the proximity of the uh, of the Hollywood crowd to to the Van Nuys Hospital. That was it. Well, I grew up in the San Fernando Valley. I don't think it was a very cool place to live, <laughs> but the weather was nice, so that was good. Right. Um, yeah. Just you know, again, the book is such a comprehensive history, and you you have so many kind of original materials. I mean, I've watched, you know, some of the movies, which I had never heard of before that, that you mentioned some of the, the army, I don't know, other military right. movies. I mean, how, how much yeah. time did it take you to actually, I mean, <laughs> write, write this book. I mean, go through all of those, those original materials and all that. Yeah, it was, a. I mean, start to finish, uh, four to five years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I, 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 you know, the research is the fun part. Um, the yeah. writing is the, is the tough part for, for me in the sense of, you know, that's the challenge taking all of this material and, you know, 
getting it down into a narrative. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I love doing the research. You know, I went to all of all across the country. I went to yeah. London um, to look at the papers of Ludwig Gutmann. You did. Who oh is, my. Uh, acknowledged as sort of the, you know, the father of the Paralympics. Um, and for, for those in the audience who, who might not have heard of him, he was doing the same thing with the veterans in Britain as we were doing here yeah. in terms of using recreation as rehabilitation. So I had to look at his papers. Um, uh, St. Louis was a, was a big hub because they're, all of the records of the World War II veterans are in this NARA, what's called NARA, N-A-R-A, uh, in St. Louis, right outside St. Louis. Um, and certainly out here in Southern California, I went all over. Um, and the gentleman who was still alive, uh, Jerry Gene Fessemeyer, he lived in Texas. So I would go down to interview him and get to know him. And, you know, you just keep going and going and going. And I, believe me, I, after the book has come out, you know, I will hear from people who will tell me stories and I'm like, oh my gosh, I wish, I, I wish I had that story. Uh, cause that would be right in the book, but, um, you do the best you can and um, uh, just keep going and going and going. So yeah, that's, that's the fun part. You know, part, part of this um, for me, you know, in reading your book, I, I recently read a children's book about Dr. Gutman. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to interview that author too. You know, awareness okay. about opportunities, about um, capabilities of people. Um, you know, how, how do you think we, I mean, get your book out, right? Get other information out so that more of the U.S. and obviously the world knows about, you know, these kinds of opportunities and this history and, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a that is a challenge. There's no doubt. Um, and I, um, <clears throat> excuse me, without getting into the nuts and bolts of the publishing industry, yeah. which would be a long tangent that yeah. you, you and your listeners do not need to hear about today. Yeah. Um, it, it is a challenge. And frankly, as someone who uh, has sort of just entered this space in terms of, let's say, the disability space, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I have to tell you, I was surprised that, uh, and maybe I shouldn't have been, but I was surprised that there were people who did not want to touch this book in terms of um, whether it's the, in the publishing industry or after it's out in terms of sports media. This isn't something people are comfortable with. Um, and when you, and I'll speak on the publishing industry in this particular space, um, you know, frankly, and I'm, I'm not patting myself on the back, this is an original yeah. book. Nobody's yeah. done this book. Yeah. Um, and publishing looks at that going, what do we do with this? How, you know, they don't know how it doesn't fit into that niche that they uh, want to see. And I think, we can all agree that in the last few years, the subject of disability, whether in entertainment or whatever, has certainly gotten uh, some traction. I mean, you, you only have to look at the documentary Crip Camp, 
which you know is out there and nominated for an Oscar, and who knows, maybe it will win tomorrow. Um, and television shows, you know, using uh, actors and so forth with disability, but it is a challenge. It, it really is, and um, I, I, it was something I didn't anticipate. Uh, you know, I looked at this as, wow, isn't this a cool story? And there are a lot of people who they don't want to go there. They don't. They don't want. They don't have any. Maybe they don't have any firsthand knowledge of someone who has gone through this. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the one of the I, I sort of expected when I was going through this, I was thinking, you know, why doesn't every NBA team they they should be sponsoring? You know, the local. Southern California wheelchair basketball. You mean, you know, why, why wouldn't you have the Lakers, you know, and I understand there's one or two teams that do that. I think the Cleveland team does, and maybe one or two others, I, you know, and, well, that, you know that, the, that sort of baffles me. The Hawks are doing a little bit, but. Okay. Okay. You know, yeah. the thing that I hear is, you know, what, what does sponsorship mean? You know, it's, and it's not that much, unfortunately. But no, you're, but you're no. you're absolutely right. I mean, that's the kind of thing that that needs to happen in order, you know, to really promote the sport more. Um, right. I mean, you mentioned you mentioned the Madison Square Garden. Why don't why don't before a Knicks game you have, you know, the the two best teams or or you know the the US USA Paralympic wheelchair basketball team scrimmages you know, for a, a half or something before the next game. I mean, that's not brain surgery, right? I mean, that's that shouldn't be too difficult to do, um, but you don't see that. And I, yeah. that part, I don't know, you know, that's sort of beyond my pay scale. Yeah. Um, well, you've got, but, you know, you've anyway. got the, the rolling Knicks with two of the best players in the world. Yeah. And um, yeah, why, why isn't it happening? Um, you know, the, the other question, question is, you know, look, there's no professional wheelchair basketball league in the US, you know, the players have to go to Europe. And when I asked a few of the Paralympians, you know, so why? And, you know, they said, it's about money, right? It is about getting sponsorship. So right. It's a difficult thing. What, what do you think, David, what do you think, um, you know, all these people whose stories you've told, I mean, what would they think if they saw the National Wheelchair Basketball Association, you know, these teams, through, I mean, throughout the world, right? There's an International Wheelchair Basketball Federation. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I have friends in India who, and they have an incredible wheelchair basketball association. I mean, what, the question is a little bit trite, but, you know, yeah. what would they think? I think they would be super proud. Uh, that's their legacy. You know, that's their legacy. And again, when they started out, they weren't thinking about, uh, oh, we're going to organize a, a league or, or, or Paralympics. Uh, they were, it was about rehabilitation, having some fun with other veterans. And there's, I mean, we talk about Paralympics. There's still, as you well know, there's the National Veterans Wheelchair Games and so on and so forth. So those things still exist and, uh, and are thriving, I think. There, that's in New York City this year in August, the veterans uh, games. Um, but I, I think they would be very proud. Um, and I think the other part of this, and I bring this out a little bit in the book, you know, uh, in 1946, 47, they formed 
the Paralyzed Veterans of America, the PVA, yeah. which still yeah. exists and is still going strong. Yeah. And, you know, some of the, that was as important as the basketball and the recreation. In other words, lobbying for disability rights. And, you know, they got some, they got some amazing things accomplished. You know, I, we talk about uh, the team in Van Nuys, um, the flying wheels. And uh, as you mentioned, they sort of very much Hollywood affiliated and sponsored. And they would do these cross country tours every year. And every year they would stop off in Washington DC and they would lobby Congress. They would meet with, you know, they met with President Eisenhower um, and, and Vice President Nixon, you know, and said, you know, that we need, you know, or we would like this, or we're lobbying for that. And they got some legislation passed specifically for their needs. And so, you know, the dot, dot, dot is, you know, on the athletic end, it's Paralympics, the dot, dot, dot on the lobbying and disability rights is the ADA. And um, again, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna expand beyond what I wrote in the book, but they get some credit for that because they were the first to be out there and vocal and and a, a, a serious presence uh, that was written about by everybody, every journalist, sports journalists, yeah. you know, um, magazines, all that sort of thing. So, well, and to think that, you know, this documentary Crip Camp is up for an Academy Award. I mean, that's pretty incredible. You know, that, that's just incredible. Very much so. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for somebody to do the wheelchair basketball documentary. Maybe we'll, we'll, <laughs> <laughs> Somebody well, I, will have that one up in five years. Well, I was going to ask you, I mean, has there been any interest yet? No, not yet to be. Uh, I mean, I, I've, my previous book, which was how I stumbled into this book, was a biography of Duke Kahanamoku, the um, Olympic swimmer and godfather of surfing. And that was optioned and they made a documentary on that. Um, so you never know. Um, it, it, it's certainly a cinematic story and it's certainly a dramatic story and I'd love to see it happen. Um, you know, uh, but, um, I'm, I'm not, that's not what I counted on. That's not why I wrote the book, but if it does happen, that would be great. Yeah. Well, hopefully it will. Tell us be, before we leave, can you tell us a couple yeah. more, a couple more of your favorite stories? Sure. <laughs> uh, well, um, um, I, I mentioned Jerry uh, Gene Fessenmeyer, and he was quite the raconteur. And um, one of the interesting parts of his life, and when he came back, he was a veteran who said, um, I survived this horrific war injury. I mean, and he had gone down to 70 pounds. He told me in the clinic where he ended up in San Francisco. They were betting whether he would live the night or not. Um, and he lived and he vowed to basically live life to the fullest. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you can <laughs> take that as you, as you may, but one of the, uh, and, and, and he gravitated towards warm climates, which made sense being in a wheelchair. So he lived in Hawaii for a while 
and he lived for a while, and I'd never heard of this, he lived for a while in Guadalajara in Mexico. And he told me, and this has been confirmed, and, and I've, I talked to other veterans who were there, there were, it became this um, encampment of paralyzed veterans who, and quads, who would go down and live. And there were so many, they called it Guadalajara. And <laughs> because the weather was nice, <laughs> and the living was cheap. And let's face it, they could go into, you know, the saloons and have a few beers and yeah. have some fun. Yeah. And I had never, I had never heard of this. Um, and actually one of the gentlemen, one of the veterans, uh, he was a Vietnam vet. And I, I don't really write about Vietnam a lot, but um, I happened to, to know uh, Ron Kovic um, born on the 4th of July. Yeah. He did the same thing. He went, he lived in Mexico for a while and he confirmed this and yeah, speaking with Ron and Ron lives in Southern California. You know, he lives in the South Bay and, uh, he was kind enough. I was, I was able to interview him about him and, you know, he confirmed everything that had happened with the World War II veterans. He did, you know, in terms of, you know, he was a great athlete. He was actually a really good athlete in high school on Long Island and you know he he told me at the where at the veterans hospital in I, I believe he was in the Bronx uh, VA you know he picked up a basketball and and it you know it brought back good memories and and being in motion and feeling like this is I mean fun, first of all just on a basic fun level this is fun yeah. but also knowing uh, this is going to help me make it to the next day and the next day and the next day. So, you know, that's to me just super inspiring. And, um, I, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to sort of be the conduit on some of this. And um, uh, so I, I, I enjoyed all of that aspect for sure. That is great. So the book is Wheels of Courage. I read a lot. And this is one of the best books that I've read in quite some time. Obviously, I'm interested in wheelchair basketball. But if you want to learn about the history, please go out and get this book. David, thank you Thanks. so very much. Really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you, Mike. Uh, great to be in touch. And we'll stay in touch. Okay. Talk to you later. Thank you.